Hello and welcome back to another episode of Extraordinary with me, James Wallace, the podcast that shines a light on ordinary people who have gone on to do and see extraordinary things. And in this episode, I have the privilege of speaking with James Eder, the founder of Student Beans, visionary entrepreneur, professional speaker and work-life coach. By the time I had graduated, I'd worked with about 30 brands. There was a breaking point for me where I had, I think, 14 salaries that sat on my shoulders. Like, if I didn't sell, if I didn't deliver, this huge amount of pressure. We discuss a range of topics, including his journey to success and his ongoing challenges with a heart condition. And the business launched, I raised the money, we launched a web app, we launched an app. Um, and unfortunately, just the, the momentum wasn't there. Um, and uh, I found out that I've got a heart condition. James shares his incredible experiences that's packed full of insights on how to live with obstacles whilst also managing to have a successful life and career. Again, for listeners, you know, people that have got an idea that you want to start, you want to do something, think about what's the first version or first stepping stone that you can do to take you on that journey. And as a successful work-life coach, James also tells us how to cultivate a growth mindset to overcome any challenges in your personal and professional life. A lot of people have a business idea and then go and set up a business. And let's use the example of like, I work in Greg's and I'm a passionate baker and I love baking. So I'm gonna go and set up my own bakery. But what does it mean? Well, you open earlier, you close yourself later, you've created ultimately a job for yourself. And a lot of entrepreneurs go on this entrepreneurial journey and actually all they've done is created a job for themselves. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this very motivational episode featuring James Eder. And just before we begin the podcast, I just wanted to remind everyone that this podcast is not monetized and it is not sponsored in any way. In fact, it is an extremely expensive business to run a podcast. So that's why I've signed up to buymeacoffee.com, which allows creators like me to do a little bit of crowdfunding and just helps contribute towards the ongoing costs of running a podcast like this. I've set my limit at three pounds, so all it will cost you is the price of a coffee if you did want to contribute. No pressure, obviously, but I just wanted to say that the link is gonna be in the show notes and it's also in my link tree, which is across all my socials, in case you did want to contribute just the price of a coffee towards the ongoing costs of this podcast. Without further ado, enjoy the show. So James Eder, welcome to the Extraordinary Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? Good to see you. Good to see you. Good to see you. So before we get started, for those who don't know who you are, tell everyone who you are and what you do. So my name is James Eder. I'm an entrepreneur and founder um, and my current focus, I'm a work-life coach. So I help people on their own journeys, kind of following my experience, which I know we're going to delve into today. Um, having been a founder from a very young age, uh, from 22 when I started my first company, um, to, to now, I've always been interested in like personal development and growth and helping people ultimately achieve whatever it is that they want to achieve and what's important to them. And so, yeah, that's my day-to-day focus right now. Amazing. Have you known anything other than being an entrepreneur or a founder? Have you ever been an employed person? Um, it's a good question. Um, and... I think I'm unemployable and I say that based on having done um, a few things when I was um, during my year between school and university I was a worked at a gala bingo um, not oh, a wow. bingo hall calling numbers but on the telesales side of things 
And actually, huge like learning from that, just going straight into it, was I call it no training instead of sales training. And it's one of the most fundamental, actually. I, I think it's always interesting. Some people say they do jobs and there's nothing, there's no value or they didn't get anything from it. But And you would think telesales or gala, why would you get something from that? But we had to make, um, it was up to 250 phone calls a day. And that was an amazing, like in terms of like learning journey of we were taught um, to get them to say no three times. Right. And it was this resilience building. And I, I remember I started a shift at midday to eight o'clock every day. I did it only for six weeks. But the the persistence and the drive, like the core essence, I think, of some of the things we'll be talking about today about persistence and just that consistency. And it mm. didn't matter also the conversion rate. It didn't matter whatever time my general conversion rate you could see of numbers was 10%. So I'd get around 25 signups every day. And if I called near Birmingham, there's a place called Dudley, there were many more elderly people that generally were interested in bingo. My conversion rate went much higher. Um, and so there's all these, like I say, random things that when I did it, I didn't really appreciate. I, I was going through the motions and mm. I was very good at it as well. And funnily enough, a few years later, I was speaking at an event sharing about the lessons learned from, from my gala bingo days and persistence and numbers game, just got to keep going and all these things. And there was another speaker in the room and he stood up after me and it was the chairman of Gala Bingo. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, he actually, he offered me a job. I said I was busy running, running a company at the time, but, um, <laughs> but I appreciated the job offer. But it's, it's amazing, I think, anyone kind of listening or watching that when you put yourself into something, give it everything and be aware of what those learnings are. You might not know, but actually that was one of the most fundamental kind of bases for starting my own, doing my entrepreneurial journey that when it came down to it and I launched the business and the persistence and numbers and getting through and just not taking no for an answer and to keep going. Mm. And I think that's, you know, this fine line between when you stop, you know, how close you can be and how, how much drive that you need. And it is this consistency. And I'll, I'll say that I'm sure more, more than once today. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a good sort of grounding in marketing sales and all things objection handling and targeted marketing. So yeah. that's super interesting. But I, I'm guessing that there was no there was no thought in your mind at that stage that you ever wanted to be employed. Um, no, I also worked in a hotel between school and university in a ski resort. And I would always question everything. And my boss and manager would always just kind of be like, James, do the job, just get it done. Like, I know it could be more efficient maybe if we did it differently, um, but but that's not, you know, and, and yeah. I guess a lot of companies can't, they say they want to be innovative, but every time I've seen or been working in an environment where I put my ideas forward that I think would be better, um, often it's met with, well, this is the way we've done it. And almost a computer says, no, or this is how we do it. So we're not interested, which always just frustrated me, I think. And, and that's why I said I'm not really designed to, to work in companies. <laughs> so those are a few, yeah, a few examples of, of, you know, I guess this most structured work that I've had. Um, and I've, yeah, always just resisted it. And uh, yes, yeah, so I, I don't think I Good for you. It's turned out all right, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> So tell me a little bit about your like childhood and your early years. What, like, what was school life like? What was it that, you know, when we're all kind of, I guess, at GCSE age or A-level age and we're thinking about university and career planning, uh, I'm sure 
I mean, I know you quite well. You were my boss at one point, but I, I get the sense that, you know, because you are a founder entrepreneur, you were probably, and correct me if I'm wrong here, quite a careerist and you were thinking about your future, thinking about earning money. Like what was going on in your head at that point in time? Did you, were you looking at grad schemes? What sorts of things were you pursuing? Yeah, no, school, school overall, I didn't enjoy that much. Um, and like, I wasn't very good at sport at school and, um, and I just didn't know, just, I, I felt it was a difficult time for me overall is my kind of reflection looking back. Mm. One of the things I think I saw, I'm from a family of five children, um, and I'm a middle child and I saw my elder brothers in turn, um, interesting enough to young enterprise, which was, I guess my foundations. And I think having older brothers and sisters and um, my dad um, was a barrister and very much from a self-employed perspective, my mum as well was like a homeopath and growing up in a a very, I say, entrepreneurial environment. Funnily enough, my grandparents as well, very entrepreneurial, had a a maternity wear store um, and shops and they used to sell. And just a very brief, funny story, I think it's worth mentioning that they were in, um, they left Vienna in, in during World War II and went to Malta and they had a hat shop and my grandfather um, went to England to get hats to, to sell in his hat shop. Anyway, he went over, got hats, but he decided to buy some dresses. And apparently the story goes that he came back to the um, shop with my grandmother and said, um, you know, I bought these dresses and she had a go at him say, why are you buying dresses for a hat shop? Anyway, this, the dresses sold more quickly than the hats. So then she had a go at him saying, why didn't you buy more dresses? Um, and, and I think the story goes that he went back and, and they bought more. And, and then they uh, moved to the UK when my dad was five and, um, and had a number of maternity wear and, and shops in the UK. But I think there's generally this environment of growing up around very entrepreneurial, I guess, mindset and attitude and, and being um, yeah, in that creative environment and my two older brothers did young enterprise um so they're one's four years older than me and then two years older than me so kind of when i was 12 13 i could see them doing these projects and things um that that just excited me and i guess this mm. idea of creating something from nothing and even like blue peter when my was married doing like bring and buy sales and this idea of just getting something and making something and making money from that and so there was always something and i was always an idea i found actually i moved um, house a few years ago, I found a letter that I wrote to Richard Branson and and the business books as well. I was always just consuming. I remember I met Anita Roddick from from the Body Shop, who's, who's no longer uh, alive. But this just amazing, just inspiration and stories. And in the Sunday Times, I've got How I Made It section that was also yeah. a, a staple that I remember, like just reading and just this excitement of someone taking an idea from nothing and and bringing it into the world and that that was always very exciting so yeah when i was 17 um i created a, a website called needanumber.co.uk it was like a directory service and for listeners and readers the um it was a time with dial-up internet where my parents would have a go at me you, you probably won't remember this or know this but when my parents had a go if they tried to pick up the phone they couldn't because i was using the internet and um you had to wait for things to load and it was just a very it was a different time yeah. and um, but but we created a website where I sold to 200 local businesses um, to sign up for for this directory service, and it was you talk about you know was I thinking career? It was seven I was 17, and I remember 
thinking, oh, I'd love to just go and do this. And, and people said, you should do this instead of going to university, despite my parents um, completely disagreeing with that, saying, no, 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 you've got, you've got to go to university. And I remember my cousin calling me, who was very close, and it was the first week of uni, and I was just not, you know, it's a difficult time. You're away from home for the first time, and you're surrounded by all these new people and stimulus and kind of but I was definitely questioning what am I doing here but I found myself in that first year of university I organized a summer ball for our um, uni halls and I got sponsorship and I really made it my own and by the end of the first year I was just I leveraged and I guess used I was doing a business degree but used my experience of university just to get involved and get experience mm. a whole host of things that ultimately led to the foundations of my first company I will talk about soon but it, it you look back and one of my favorite Steve Jobs quotes is you see the dots join and while you're doing stuff you're not quite sure how yeah. and I can look at you know gala bingo and the, even the bring and buy sale stuff or um, the other innovative thing I was doing was um, taking photos of um, pay, people's pets and dogs on our local um, heat extension and then selling, going back the following week with prints at the print and selling owners. Um, and, and that was also, again, say entrepreneurial. I gave up after I tried to develop the film myself and the chemicals didn't work properly. So I lost a whole day of, and this is again digitally, you know, digital cameras didn't exist at the time. So it was on that traditional film. And, um, and I lost that and I just didn't have the patience for it. So I didn't do that again. But it was again yeah. these learnings and you try stuff and you could see from nothing I was making some money. And that was exciting. Yeah. But with, but with all of those experiences, I'm sure there were transferable skills that you were developing anyway. Like you, even the failures of the photography, you knew maybe photography wasn't for you. And Definitely. you tried something else. Absolutely. That's so, that's interesting. And that's a perfect segue because I guess, and to your earlier point, I have a feeling that entrepreneurialism or, you know, enterprise in general has is much more readily is able to flourish more at university than it is at school and mm -hmm. I personally have no regrets about going to university at all I think we all learn lots and it was at university where you you started work on your on your first company wasn't it yeah so look it's interesting by the time I had graduated I'd worked with about 30 brands and that's everything from being a brand manager for yellow pages or yell.com um, and they launched at the time a brand called 118247. And I did, you know, sponsorship. I, there were so many different avenues that I just saw. And I saw, you know, businesses craving and wanting to engage with 18 to 24 year olds and university students. And at the same time, I was always looking and I loved deals and promotions. And it's funny when I launched the business initially, anyone that knew me was like, you have launched a business that is personified in me as a as a being that someone yeah. would always be like oh there's a great deal here and it's it's just this sense of yeah excitement if you found something and, you, and whether it be two for one cinema tickets or two for one meals that wagamama which again were staple uh, promotions when when we first launched student beans and it was actually my business plan i had to do a business plan as part of my degree and this this ultimately this this idea and it's interesting because I look at, at needanumber.co.uk, which was the first website I did when I was 17, 18. And then a few years later, you know, when I was then 21, 22, building out Student Beans and Need a Number before it closed down, we started doing the idea of if you mention Need a Number, you'll get a discount. So there was this like essence of something. And also there was a, a present, a, a kind of a folder 
we didn't, because of technology at the time, we didn't have a laptop we could carry and go in and show a shop. So we just printed out bits of paper and we went into the shops and showed them this display folder. And interestingly enough, again, because when we launched Student Beans, we didn't have, the website wasn't live. So I, I literally printed on A4 bits of paper a, a vision of what it would be like. And it, it was just a visual representation. And, you know, from nothing. And was this like before it had even been incorporated? Like, was this literally while you were at uni? Um, so while we were at uni, I did the research. Uh, we registered the name in January 2005. Um, the name Student Beans, I can't take credit to my brother co-founded the business with me. And I guess the joke and story goes, to be honest, I had loads of different ideas and he always told me they're pretty rubbish, whereas this one he quite liked. And um, he'd done a year and graduated the year before me and had done a placement at JP Morgan, which he didn't really enjoy. And he was, it was just right time. You know, we were, we were born 18 months or so apart. And um, it was just, yeah, he liked this one. And he came up with the name. Uh, and, and I think the idea behind the name is about student beans, baked beans being the staple diet. And then the idea of student beans to become a staple diet for student life. And, um, so I was working on it whilst I was still a student. Again, we registered the name January, 2005, and then I graduated, but in between my graduation ceremony, I was literally going door to door selling with just a landing page saying coming soon. And even the first day I sold there was an error page on the website, which stressed me out, no end. Um, but day two, there was a landing page saying coming soon. And for three months, again, for listeners, you know, people that have got an idea that you want to start, you want to do something, think about what's the first version or first stepping stone that you can do to take you on that journey. And we didn't have the website yet. So then many people would go, well, we need a website before we can sell. And I completely disagree. You need someone to believe in the idea and to come on with you on that journey. And, you know, we, we very innovatively charged a very low amount of money. But again, we didn't give free trials. It was a very much like we gave trials and discounts to say, look, sign up for three months, you get it for this price. But it was really important. And you see that with promotions everywhere now, mm -hmm. you know, first first month free and then it's 6.99 or whatever it is, or there's initial amount. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, it was just this, um, we started. And I think that's the main thing as well. So much advice around me, get a job, learn, and then you'll be ready to do this. But at the end of the day, with a student company in marketing to students, the further I was away from graduating, the further disconnected I would be from knowing my audience and my market. And, I think it was, you know, I feel like I'm a year or two ahead. Had I not started then, then yeah. I'd be a year or two behind. So did you have that kind of dilemma, dichotomy decision to make in your mind about kind of, do I apply for grad schemes like everyone else? I think you studied business or yeah. business economics. Like yeah. it, it's so rife, that culture at university, particularly like years ago, it's probably not quite the same these days, but everyone is talking about grad schemes and internships and summer schemes. And, yeah. and there you are. Cause I don't, I can't think of anyone I went to uni with that graduated to become self-employed or start their own business. Um, yeah. So it, you must have felt quite, I mean, how, yeah, how did you feel? Because I guess that there is a risk attached to that. It's interesting. I always say about the risk um, and we've seen it, you know, I say seen it also with my friends time and time again, but, you know, 
what is risk? And I think as an entrepreneur, I guess I compare it to crossing a road and some people will only cross when it's green. But if it's red and tells you not to cross, if you look left, you look right, nothing's coming, cross the road. And I guess my, my analogy for that from an entrepreneurial perspective is like, look, I didn't just blindly just go, okay, great. But it's like, I had this idea, it was student related. I did actually, interesting, I applied for a few jobs. Um, one was for a FM fast moving consumer goods company, but I didn't get past their numerical and verbal reasoning tests, which stressed me out no end. Um, and I applied, yeah, for, for a few other jobs. Um, and the one main job I actually, and worth definitely kind of sharing, when I was at university, I got involved in an organization called ISEC, which is an international student exchange program and um, all run by students. And again, very entrepreneurial. And for me, that was a really great kind of foundational experience of traveling. I went to the Philippines and Colombia in my second summer of university um, I recruited people and I sent people abroad. I ran the leadership team. So there's a whole host of my leadership, I guess, journey, very again, mm. transferable skills that ultimately when I graduated, I originally actually wanted to work for ISEC for a year that I thought would give me some amazing experiences and foundations. And the elections, it was an elected position, were in February 2005. And I had, you know, the basis of student beans and the plan was do that for a year and then the following year, I'll then do student beans on the back of having this experience and building out stuff. Um, because ISEC invested about £20,000 in me personally while I was a student. And I, I say that not lightly because I went on conferences and events and training and development. And the level that we experienced was just absolutely amazing. And I put a lot of credit to, to that organization that then... So I stood for elections and unfortunately, or fortunately, I didn't get elected. Mm. And um, a, uh, a business book that I definitely recommend uh, for people is a book called The Naked Leader by a guy called David Taylor. And, uh, and a friend of mine actually dropped me off at the airport before I went to the Philippines and gave me a copy of this book. And in the book, a very simple message, imagine if you couldn't fail, who would you be? Where would you go? And what would you do? And genuinely, there was this failure moment with not getting this ISEC position. And I invited David Taylor to speak at an event I was organizing. And he turned up and I shared with him this experience of, look, it was failure. It felt like failure. It, was, it was a failure. And he said a few things. Failure can't exist with persistence. What, you know, my interpretation of that is ultimately, what did I want to achieve by doing ISEC? Could I achieve that in another way? And my my thing about ISEC was how can I give back? How can I help other students? Um, how can I make a difference? I don't want to be a cog in a wheel and all of these things. And ultimately, the answer was right there in front of me, do student beans. Like if student beans is not going to fail, got to do it. And yeah. the freedom that that gave me was really empowering. And, you know, that, again, it's a lot about mindset and beliefs, but it's, it's them putting the hard work behind it. It's not just think positive and it's going to happen. Um, but I just remember, I think that was just this shift of if it's not going to fail, I've got to launch student beans. And in terms of the impact, if you think about it, ISEC at the time, maybe in the UK would have 500 members and we'd have then a smaller group of people having similar experience that I experienced. Whereas student beans in the first year, I mean, we launched, um, the 19th of September 2005 by Christmas we had about 5,000 users 
And within the first 12 months, we had 15,000 registered users. And people were fundamentally like saving money and getting the discounts. I mentioned two for one cinema tickets, two for one meals. And it was creating this brand. And it was, it was just so exciting. And the impact, I think, since we started the business, I know, including yourself, an employee over time, hmm. it, building a business that is funding people's lifestyles and, and, and families and contributing to society in a way that is just so much bigger than anything that I could have achieved, not just in ISEC, but in a job yeah. doing something else. And, you know, imagine again from an unemployment, if every graduate at some stage in their life graduated and then, and anyone created a business and hired one other person, unemployment wouldn't exist. I mean, it's, it's the opportunity that, yeah, it was just, it was amazing, really, if I think back to what I was trying to do and that, did I fail? Well, in that moment and that opportunity, I did. But actually, I've still been able to deliver what's true and core to my purpose, which was around contribution and helping young people and making mm. difference. And it's a classic story of hindsight being a wonderful thing, right? Because I guess at the time, like, I know what when I've stood for, you know, elections or you know I'll, I'll never forget when I wanted to be head boy at school and I and I didn't get it yeah. and I was like bruised and battered and yeah. it was like I was almost wanting validation and someone out there to be like yeah James like we back you you should be head boy yeah. and then that that fueled me to like run for like JSOC president at uni and then like be like the best camp counselor at Camp America which I did for four years and I, I can't help but think there are things that we do um in your case, it might have been ISEC. In my case, it might have been J- running for JSOC, yeah. where it's our ego telling us what we think we need to do, yeah. rather than actually what we what, what skills we're, we're going to learn from another opportunity. And and uh, and I think it is that quest for external validation that is the real driving force, rather than what what we really need for the, for our futures. Yeah, definitely. I think that the, having done work on myself and from a therapy perspective and learning yeah. about myself it's so interesting because again from a coaching perspective now I'm working with other people and I can hear it in their voice it's like I need to do this I need to be seen I need to be on stage and and freedom comes when I realize I don't need to do any of those things mm. to be confident in myself and to know and, and you, you use the word validation I don't yeah. need like Yes, do I feel fabulous when I've delivered a session and I've inspired a room and everyone's coming up at the end and whatever else and people are reaching out to me with feedback saying how great that was and whatever. Yes, that does all feel good, but it's that separation from needing that. Like I yeah. don't need that to wake up and feel good in myself. And mm. that, that did take time, to be honest. And I think, yeah, when, totally. you know, everyone's on that, I'm going to say, on their own journey, I reflect growing up, you know, those things are there because of things that happen to us in everyone's their own version of that, which is why we feel I need this to be successful. or I need this job title to be successful. or I need this money to be successful. Whereas actually what do we really, you know, there's very Mm. little we really need if we'd actually break it all down to be, I'm going to say happy, which again is is a journey. Yeah. And it, and it comes from within. Yeah, there's nothing, we shouldn't be looking for someone else to tell us we're good. Like, we've got to know we're good from within. And I think, yeah, it, it's when you realise that you don't need to be validated by anyone else other than yourself is like a real penny drop moment, or it certainly was for me, and not something I actually had until I'm in my 30s, yeah. like maybe the last two years. And it takes time. 
and 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 again, as I've said, yeah, we're on our own journey, but it sounds the same. Yeah, that's more of like a philosophical thought. Absolutely. I just had it as you were talking. <laughs> um, so you had, so how long were you kind of at the helm of um, Student Beans? Um, so co-founded, like I said, with my brother, Michael, um, and he was very much the operations and the driver behind making, I'm going to say, a lot of my ideas a reality. And I was the sales guy on the ground, um, delivering door-to-door selling and then eventually kind of as we then grew to be the national brands and companies um and so delivered the company to profitability and i was there for the best part of 10 years day to day um and it was just an amazing journey again from building something from nothing um we didn't have any investment um and initially we got rejected by the bank for a loan and then the prince's trust actually helped us who were absolutely amazing and amazing for a few ways. One, they gave us a few thousand pounds in terms of money that was a low interest loan that we had to pay back every month over the course of a number of years. But they also gave me a mentor, uh, a guy called Mark Beardmore that was from a law firm in um, DLA Piper in Birmingham. And what was fantastic about him was meeting on a monthly basis and being able to share the challenges, the ups and downs, someone at the end of the phone, um, mm. funnily enough within a few weeks of launching we had another company copy our website and take all our logos take all our information and i could see they'd taken our logos because i personally had scanned them in um, and made this bespoke logo for various companies or whatever and um and we were on this website we could not believe that it's been copied and DLI Piper they wrote a cease and desist letter saying you can't and again something I wouldn't have known how to do or yeah of course you know experience or, or money at the time also to spend money on, on legal or whatever um mm. so that was so that's great and and that yeah from a foundation's perspective and taking something from an idea to then we, we worked with an external agency as well to build out the initial version of the website so again, for anyone listening who's not technical, and I know building a site now is much, much easier than it ever has been. And there are so many templates and WordPress and things that you can just plug and go. Yeah. But at the time, I think I remember getting quotes from five to a hundred thousand pounds for the same thing. And we didn't go with the cheapest, didn't go with the most expensive. Um, but we found someone that was, you know, behind the scenes to deliver on that. Um, and within three years, we had like 150,000 users. Um, and built out this, this amazing business. We had a campus brand manager program as well in year two to help us launch from one to 18 cities. And, you know, again, thinking back to ISEC, what I wanted to do, there was very much a model in that of mm. how we can train and help young people. And I remember, I mean, there are still the brand managers that helped us then. Like that's part of their history. And I know you were involved as well in our later yeah, that was my job of that, but it's, you know, giving people, and that's why I think this whole learning by doing like culture and experience, there's only so much you can learn in a classroom being told. But when you're told, you know, especially in the early days, Student Beans is launching in your city and you are responsible for making sure people mm-hmm. know about it, that's like real ownership. And that's, and again, re- just really exciting. And you could see the students that really got behind it just loved it. And I know it helped their careers, which is also a really special thing. I was just about to say that because obviously my job at Student Beans when I was there um, straight out of uni was to build a refreshed and revitalized campus brand manager program. And I remember doing the recruitment across all the universities. And I remember 
thinking like how impressive the caliber of applicants were like these were people who like really were hungry and wanted to have very very fruitful prosperous careers like straight a students they were studying like ppe they were like real top-notch like candidates and i and i'm still obviously because i was like i added them all on linkedin which wasn't even a thing at the time but like i I, we we still had it because those kind of students were already on linkedin And I am still like, in t- I don't, I'm not friends with them, but I see their kind of life updates and they've all gone on to do like incredible things. And it's just interesting, like, again, with the art of hindsight, looking back that the types of people that put their hands up at university to be like, yeah, I want to manage my own business on campus mm. have all gone on to do like really amazing things as well. So I think, yeah, there is definitely something in sort of brands like Student Beans sort of enabling another generation of business leaders and entrepreneurs. Yeah, no, thank you. And and let that part always from a vision perspective, like what, what can we do in my personal like idea of yeah, contribution that making a difference and I guess giving people I think it's just like some foundations and a structure. And that's what I loved yeah. also when I was a student about ISEC was I could go to any event or any networking thing and I'm gonna say use ISEC as an excuse to speak to anyone. And it's like having something to say instead of just going i'm a student and people are looking and going oh okay mm. great what what else good for you, <laughs> good for you. i hope you're yeah. having a great time but it was really just this from a business acumen perspective of being able to go i'm involved in isec there's an opportunity to work with us do you want to sponsor this local student committee like it changes the conversation and of it's, course it's an excuse to for me it was an excuse to talk to anyone and the brands and people I'm still in touch with today, many years later, mm. um, you know, is I'm going to remember that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally. And what would like looking back then um, in those kind of ten years was there like a particular highlight? And I guess on the flip side, was there a particular low light that you remember? Look, the highlights were I remember like a few from a lessons perspective. People do business with people. And no matter how big the organization, it ultimately comes down to a decision or multiple decision makers. And I think people don't quite get that. I think there's still this apprehension of of this brand or this kind of halo of what's not possible. But actually, no matter how big the biggest brands in the world are still run by people at the end of the day. And so I relate to that because from a highlights perspective, you know, it's, I remember, and for many people, um, this guy called Louis Wolfson Wolf, who was the manager at Wagamama back in Birmingham when we launched, and the success and getting them to sign up and to give us this promotion at the time of Two for One Meals, and then seeing students use it, and then me going in to check, check with them, how's it working? And they're like, you know, we've had 20 or 30 vouchers today, which is, again, small things, but you remember that as wow, okay, and then over the month and over the three months we did that trial and then we went from Wagamama locally to then working in five Wagamamas and then and for many other brands we also did something kind of similar and it was so satisfying to see that that feedback loop and that growth and mm. making a difference and being part of people's like marketing decisions and then on the flip side for the students, the people using the site and I still, I moved into a new home uh, about eight years ago and one of my neighbors was like oh yeah student beans i used to go to the cinema with you guys and this and it's like i don't think there are many brands that you remember in that like i'm going to say emotional way of, of doing something or helping mm. you in that way and 
So, so yeah, I think there's kind of from a highlights perspective of doing deals. I remember I also did a big deal with Red Bull um, when I was still involved in the sales side of things. That was just like an aspirational brand that I was just like, oh, this is just fun. I like, you know, there are certain brands that are like, we should be working with you. And, and it just takes time and Pizza Express as well. This is also a time, you know, 16 years, 15, 16 years ago when we were starting work with Pizza Express was like, they weren't as commercially minded to do promotions like they do today. Like you think we've ridden from a you know recession point of view in 2008 as well. There's yeah. things have changed and now discounting is a lot more prevalent everywhere. But at the time it was selling also the idea of that give us two for one meals from Monday to Thursday when you're less busy. So we can bring a load of new young people in that otherwise you know, many people, if they're living in the countryside or places where Pizza Express doesn't exist, as an example brand, they've been Birmingham for the first time and seeing the brand for the first time, get them in, mm. build that relationship. And I remember I almost got them signed up and then the woman went on maternity leave and then I had to go and speak to someone else again. And my brother joked at me saying, this isn't a job, it's just like a hobby, it's a passion to get brands like this on. And it did, it took that, like, just the persuasive persuasiveness and the persistence and it, there were so many of those examples and that was so for me there was this drive and hunger and satisfaction of doing doing those deals and it's interesting because then leaving after 10 years day to day it was so far removed from what the beginning when you can see also yeah. the growth was so you know every day signing up 10 to 20 companies like that just doesn't happen then when you're that much bigger because you've spoken to everyone already <laughs> you literally and, and and now the deals are much bigger and the relationships are much deeper but that's also mm. because we've now got it's obviously not 17 years of reach because people are graduating but we've got that market presence we've got that awareness brands are coming to us and so i guess the hustle it's still a hustle but it's a different it's different different set of challenges different set of challenges and so yeah so from highlights yeah getting those big brands seeing it grow, um, definitely some of the people that we've helped like develop and grow over the years. Um, and look, the low lights, growing a business and again, challenging times, it can be very lonely, um, even with a co-founder, um, you know, founding with my brother again, I think there's a fundamental thing about trust between us that's just, and I'm sure you saw that as well, but, you know, it, the key thing is trust. And we mm. both were there committed to the business and no matter what decisions or arguments, which again is inevitable in any business arguments, but kind of riding through that because we both trust each other that we want the best for the business. And that's keeping that perspective. I think is very important. Um, and yeah, uh, losing certain deals or the things that, as we grow, and I think every business, you've got those different challenges growing, you know, every time I think we double, so from seven to 14 people, then 14 to 30, it's the things that break and the the challenges of when something's not working within the individual letting employees go. It's like as mm. a founder, it's the most satisfying thing, interviewing someone and offering them a job and the excitement behind that. And then unfortunately, again, the first time we had to let someone go was really, really challenging. You know, you're we were 23, 25. And I remember in the first instance, it's like, you do it this time. I did the last one. You do it. Like we've got to, we've got to let them go. And I know I'm being polite about you've got to fire someone. I mean, they're not delivering. They're not doing what they need to do. There's not a fit. They're not excited. Like so many times as well, when we 
have to do that, you know, they already know or they're also not happy or that they're like, genuinely like we, it's never too soon. And whenever we call it out, we try yeah. and, you know, try and make it work. But I think that's one of the most, it's that conflicting, the best thing is like we've created a job, we're giving that person a, a lifestyle and a, and a you know opportunity to thrive and grow, mm. make a difference because that's also really important for us. And it doesn't always work out. And that's really, really hard. Yeah. I think that, I think that's a universal truth for all businesses though, isn't it? But it's interesting. Out of everyone I've, I've spoken to in who, who run their own businesses, no one's actually said that, that that's kind of like an issue for them. Mm. Um, but I guess you, yeah, it, it's all part of yeah. the other thing growing that, pains, I guess. It's growing pains. The other thing I'd say the most powerful also like feedback I got from someone is someone that helped get you where you are now aren't necessarily the same people that can help you get to the next stage. Mm. And from an element of growth as well, it's like that's really, really important to acknowledge and represent. You can't hold on. You can't keep everyone because for them as well, they've taken it so far. And then for them to go and get experience somewhere else. And we've had that multiple times. People have worked with us, gone and got experience somewhere else and then come back to us, adding mm. you know more value and, and everything. So, but I, I think it's an important lesson uh, as a, I'm coaching and mentoring others now to reflect to, you know, sometimes they're holding on to someone that actually for them and for the business, it just doesn't make sense. And it's not because they're a bad person and it's not because, you know, for whatever reason, but it's just from a growth perspective that they're great at that. Um, but, but not necessarily what the business now needs. Yeah, totally. Interesting. So then in 2015, you decided to step away from the from the business um what i guess the obvious question is what were the reasons behind that decision and what was next what did you have in mind was there something you had to go and do or kind of did you just need to step away yeah look it was again difficult time for the business the business had grown to about 50 people um the market was changing um and as a business um you know what i found myself doing day to day there was like, I'm going to say the 80 20 rule of 20% maybe, or even less of what I was doing. For me, it felt like it was making a difference, whereas the rest of it was just, oh, it felt just like emails and responding and just not, not having the autonomy that I wanted anymore. You know, it was a bigger business and I couldn't just go idea today, execute tomorrow, and, and then it's happening. You've got process and submission forms and this and and again i don't want to say it in a way that degrades you know the importance of system and process and what the business needs because i do understand and respect all of that but at the same time for me you know and i always say like the i setting up a business and running a business two very different things um i think there's also an interesting narrative because we never got investment and we were going on our journey that we were on um, you know, had we got investment, maybe I would have been kicked out sooner <laughs> because, you know, which happens also for a lot of businesses and organizations. Um, mm. But the founders, you know, e- even themselves, just because they've got an idea and whatever doesn't mean they're the right people to execute it and deliver it and grow it and manage yeah. people and all of these things. Um, so I, yeah, at the time, it just wasn't fulfilling me. And I didn't feel like from a growth perspective that for me personally, I was able to contribute in a way that used also playing the best of my strengths um, at the time. And I had this other business idea. Uh, and interesting, I met an investor who said to me, um, I will invest in this, but you need to be working full time on it. And it, 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 
I needed almost this external validation. Let me talk about validation. Mm. No, but I needed someone external to give that motivation and impetus to give me an excuse, really. Because if I didn't have that, I think it would be much harder to go to Michael and say, look, you know, it wasn't overnight as well. Every year, normally around my birthday, when I'd be reflecting, my birthday's in May, the company goes from June till June. It was founded in June. So there's this like timing of the year that you can reflect. What have I done this year? Yeah. What am I doing? What am I doing I'm in my life? Yeah. I was 32 at the time. And I was like, you know, what am I doing? And again, if I step back to the David Kelly, imagine if I couldn't fail, who would I be? Where would I go? What would I do? And I was speaking at events. And I was thinking, I've got this thing inside me. And if it's not going to fail, I've got to go and do it. Because otherwise, I just look back and regret. And Student Beans, again, from an autonomous perspective, you know, they had a great team. And again, you know, when I left, there were definitely challenges behind the scenes. It's not fair for me to say it was all glossy and I left it in a fantastic position. But I left it, I think, in a place, again, Michael and the core team at the time. Um, my eldest brother also had joined the business. So I think there are a few key people in there that had they not been there, I wouldn't as feel as comfortable as leaving. Um, because they were there, it also, I think, enabled them again, on reflection, to step up, to take more responsibility. Um, there's also, someone gave me some advice, which was around, there can only be one captain of the ship. And which, like from a, you know, a, a ship perspective, a, a, from a sailing perspective and yeah. pilot as well, having one person ultimately who can make those key, you know, the bottom and the final decisions. And until that time, I was the commercial director and Michael was the operations director and there was no CEO. And, and I think also by me leaving formulated like allowed Michael, I think this is my version. He might say something completely different, but <laughs> um, it was, I think my experience of allowing him to grow into that CEO role and drive yeah. and take the business without having, it just enabled that. And I think also other people in the team, commercially to step up because I was no longer doing that role. And my brother, actually, my elder brother, Simon, then was the commercial director. That had already happened before I left. So again, it also, it, the process was easier because the business wasn't reliant on me day to day anymore. Mm. And that's also, I just to share with like people listening and viewing is that acknowledging and getting to that point, there was a breaking point for me where I had, I think, 14 salaries that sat on my shoulders like if I didn't sell if I didn't deliver this huge amount of pressure and I remember going again on a leadership um, course related to David Taylor who had written The Naked Leader and it was interesting because he said it's about choice and being able to choose and not that I wanted to choose to leave this was five years into the business when I had anxiety and I was stressed and this like felt that pressure and then I realized if I I need to set things up so the business was not reliant on me day to day not because I wanted to leave, but because then I could have a choice to do it. Again, you, entrepreneurialism as well, uh, reference to another book um, called um, The E-Myth Revisited. I don't know if you've heard of that one. I haven't heard before. of that one. But it basically goes from an entrepreneurial journey. A lot of people have a business idea and then go and set up a business. And let's use the example of like, I work in Greg's and I'm a passionate baker and I love baking. So I'm going to go and set up my own bakery. Well, what does it mean? Well, you open earlier, you close yourself later, you've created ultimately a job for yourself. And a lot of entrepreneurs go on this entrepreneurial journey and actually all they've done is created a job for themselves. 
and I guess the true entrepreneurship and, and story and, and role models that we know out there, and you know, they use resources and they create something, but it doesn't need to be reliant on them. And that's like the mistake I'm going to say that many people get. And what happens then, they talk about three scenarios in the book. You then have created this world where you're again, working longer, getting paid less money, stressed, you've got all this pressure. And actually, if you'd stayed at Greg's, you would have been on your nice salary, close the door, not worry about anything and carry on. And yes, mm-hmm. you're still at the behest if the company decide to fire you or they close the shop. That's one thing. But it's not, it's not on you. Whereas all of this then is on you. So either, and we know people like this, entrepreneurs that will just carry on and they're bitter and miserable and have a bitter and miserable life. The second one is they quit and they go back to a job or they get another job. Or third, which is what the EMA3 visit is, is about putting systems and structures and process in place so that one plus one equals two. So that you've got a system and process so that someone comes in, opens up, does the bookkeeping and it's not reliant on you. Mm. And in a similar way, when then I was like in the business after about five years, when I was still doing, you know, it was ridiculous. When I was five years in still, I was doing the bookkeeping. I, and I, I failed some of my finance. I retook them, but I failed some of my finance exams at university. I hated maths. I've not been diagnosed dyslexic, but I think I'm on some kind of spectrum of just, I find that really difficult. I don't <laughs> really get it. And it just stresses me out. That's yeah. it though. Maybe I persisted with it because it was the only thing in business that once the things matched up, it was done. Once all the entries had been done, there's nothing more I could do to it. And mm. it was, I think, one small part of satisfaction, perhaps, that I got. That's why I persisted and still did it. But, you know, yeah, learning, I guess, where my strengths were, where I could add value and making sure that the business was set up so it wasn't relying on me, I think was a key change, which then enabled me personally then seven years after, well, yeah, five years after that to then take that step back. And the new business that I had at the time was called Causa, which was like a location-based LinkedIn. It was like a dating app for business connections. I had one investor that came in and three other investors then came in. Um, And again, I, I, I say I believed in it and it was a really... It was a labor of love. It was like this focus around if I look back from my experience of running Student Beans and joining the dots, these serendipity scenario moments of sitting next to someone who had a CV in their hand on the underground. And I just said to them, you're looking for a job. And he came to work at Student Beans. Um, and another guy was wearing a bow tie at Golders Green Station near our old office. And it happened to be the person from the company that I just told William, my colleague, that we needed to speak to someone from that brand, like literally 10 minutes earlier. And these things about how can we unlock this serendipity that's all around us every day and how we can use technology to enable more face-to-face connection. Um, and the business launched, I raised the money, we launched a web app, we launched an app. Um, and unfortunately, just the, the momentum wasn't there. Um, and uh, I found out that I've got a heart condition which was this, the business didn't close because of that, but the business wasn't going and there wasn't the momentum I think it needed for me to then take it further forward. Um, and it was a difficult time. Wow. So did, were you at this situation where you were working on the business and then you had this huge kind of health scare moment or like what was the chronology of that? Yeah, so so I left getting student beans day to day. I took... 
And again, in hindsight, I should have taken more time. I took three weeks off between <laughs> running the company, like very technically I was away. I was waiting for some paperwork and whatever else. And then, so that was like the end. So 2015, end of 2015. And wow. then the beginning of 2016, I was, I had like mock-ups and whatever. And I got the investment in like, June, I think it came in that year, and then building out the web app and stuff. And we got about 3,000 users. So it's kind of the, the timeline was 2016, I was working fully on it. And then it was, yeah, coming up to two years. And then I was in a theme park and I fainted, um, hit my head gently. I was in the Netherlands, came back to the UK, and went to see the doctor. And um, they did this ECG which is a heart monitor thing. And they said, you've got to stay in hospital. And I didn't think really anything of it at the time. And I remember contacting my investors being like, look, I fainted, this has happened, but I think I'm fine. Not to worry. And I'll keep you posted. Um, and then three days in hospital, they then shared, I've got this heart condition. And again, I remember each of the chronology with my heart condition was, you know, I'm still passionate about this business. I really want to make it work and I can, and I'm, I feel good to do it. And over the course of the summer, um, I yeah continued to work. And then it was 21st of September, 20, um, 2017. So the heart condition, just in case people need to know about it, it's what's called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. It's the thickening of the heart, which is, um, it's, famous for the footballers and marathon runners have suddenly collapsed and died from it. So it's, it's, it's a very extreme condition. One in 500 people though have got it in the UK, but many wow. people don't know they've got it. And apparently I've had it since I was very young. Uh, when I was born, it was genetic, they say, and they found the marker that it's related to. And on the 21st of September that year, um, they said I might need a heart transplant. At 30, how old were you now? 33? 34. 34, wow. And it was in that moment. And again, I remember, and I had an MRI scan. I was like, Lion, am I still running this business? I've got my investors. What do I want to do? How? And entrepreneurially, and I believe in the idea and all of these things. I thought, right, I've got to carry on. I won. I pitched at an event and I won a ticket to go to San Francisco uh, to speak at, um, it was at the Lean Startup at a conference out there. And I remember saying to my doctor, look, can I go and do this? And, you know, she was like, well, look, being on an airplane is difficult anyway, but if you can get insurance and you feel you can, mm. go for it. And I remember, okay, fine. And I tagged it on with a holiday as well. But I remember I was pitching and I was networking and just being me and doing what I was doing. And, and I'm so pleased, again, in hindsight, I did that and great. But then I came back and then I had an assessment in January 2018 um, in a hospital called Papworth where they, they do about a fifth of all heart transplants in the UK every year. In the UK, there are about 500 transplants every year and had a meeting with them. They did a blood test and they said to me, if it's raised, if the marker's a certain height, called BNP protein, if it's above 750, you need to do a heart transplant assessment for two days and then be on, potentially on the list. Or if it's below, we'll refer you back to the doctor. On the following day, I got a phone call saying, it's 3,000 and you need to have this assessment. Oh my God. And it was then that I just thought, I can't work on the business anymore. I'm just, yeah. 
the struggles working by myself as well. And I, I, you can share an article linked as well about how I closed down Causer and what happened. But it was this, my heart wasn't in anymore. Like, well, no, at the time, I just couldn't focus on work. Like with the burden no, of potentially needing a heart transplant, unfortunately as well, the, the success rate, whilst it's getting better, is yeah there's a whole load of survival stats and whatever and the average life expectancy once you've had a transplant is only 11 years as well so to process all of that but again is that with certain height weight i I try not to look at the averages because also there's a it it can be useful but at the same time can throw you into a bit of a tailspin so i try to proactively not think about that too much but it was also that decision and actually i had a, a coach uh, work with me an old friend of mine and they said something really powerful which I, I use in my coach today about space what can give you space to help you right now and actually I thought and that, again being in a fortunate position I had a friend who lived in Miami and I thought you know what a bit of winter sun and just take time out and it's the first time I got on a plane I was meant to be there for 10 days ended up staying for three weeks and just without any agenda or any plan and just being in the sun and sitting on the beach and just, just taking stock of where I am and what I want. Well, not even proactively thinking it was just being in the moment. I think that was the key. And then that phrase, what's going to give you space? Because often when we're so close to something, we don't have the space to then think through things properly and we make decisions that maybe aren't the best and um, just allow ourselves also it's shock right that I'm now 34 and potentially told I need a heart transplant and dealing with that and also the overwhelm of the business and what do I do and um, so yeah I ended up taking some time out then had the transplant assessment in April and um, it was two days they said I didn't need one now but I could have one that was the the thing because you could have other issues with your lungs or various complications so the good news was I could have one and also it was the best news I guess I think I could hope for which was you can have one but you don't need one now come back again in six months and that's a really difficult and interesting way to live because how it's like you not you've been given six months to live but there's a framing around that and then what Mm. did I want to do and um, I ended up actually going to life break I went to work in Mykonos but I went on holiday to Mykonos for a few days by myself and met someone who offered me a job and I told them that I had this heart condition and I wasn't sure what's going on but I just wanted a bit of a break so they gave me a lady called Sharon from Newcastle um bless her just like yeah um what was the job so it's just working in a hotel I think I'm gonna say my dad thinks that I'm still I was a general manager of the hotel (laughs) running it all but I mean, it was because it was a small hotel. It was doing everything from checking people in and um, cleaning rooms. And do, I mean, it was, That's so exciting, it was everything mate. And everything. It was just, you know, and I loved it. And I, again... That's really cool. It was because I, I mean, my daily routine, I get up at seven, go swimming in the sea, well, not yeah. swim, but splash around a bit, get into work at, say, 10 or 11 in the morning and then work an eight or nine hour shift. And then and meet people. And my partner came to visit a number of times. And on a Greek island, just, like it was a real magical. And I remember at the end of the season saying to my like colleagues and the boss, I said to her, "Look, summer 2018. I just wanted something that would be summer 2018. I remember that, like working mm. in the mountains in 2001, 2002. That was that. This 
And, you know, the people listening and hearing from your life, think back over the last year, what are the highlights? What are the things that you remember? And when we're in the moment and we're just going day to day, it's same, same. Whereas summer 2018, like that was summer 2018 and that's what I did. And it was just this amazing experience that I feel like I've added to my life experience and doing and, you know, it was it was really special. And again, I told my investors, look, I need some time out. And before I closed down the business, um, which I ended up doing towards the end of that year, I needed an operation to put in a defibrillator. So in after the summer, originally I was in denial, I just really didn't want it. And the British Heart Foundation had been fantastic. And they introduced me to someone that had a defibrillator put in and it saved their life, I think, five times. And the idea wow. of the defibrillator is if my heart stops, it will start it again. Um, so obviously you'd be like, well, why wouldn't you get it? That sounds like a great thing. But I think for me, it was overwhelmed about it being permanent and being something that's in me. And that I, I think it feels like it's, yeah, it's just a irreversible. Change. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, that they, they, they put that in in December. And I think in my head, I was like, right, I'm going to do everything and anything I can from that September till December to if I can try and sell the company or even I had a big partnership potentially with a big brand and I was going to sell the license to them so they could exclusively use it, whatever I had. I felt like I did everything and anything I could. I spoke to one of my competitors to try and get him to buy it, even if it was for a minimum amount of money. And then I'd work for him for a year or two that I could be the PR. I could do. And it, in my head, it made a lot of sense, but it, and he said no, which is fair enough for his point of view. But I felt like I'd done everything. I left no stone unturned so that when I then went back to my investors, I go, look, I've done what I think is the best thing for the business. Mm. And again, in the article that I've written, you can see, you know, why I closed it down or the lessons learned. And was it too early or too late? Anyone I still talk about the idea to, they're like, oh, that's a really great idea. And it's a really great concept or the value of it is clear, but it just wasn't for me at the right time it just didn't work yeah and i'm sure there are thousands of businesses out there and you know the, it's got to be the right time mm. like some sometimes things come too early sometimes things come too late um so that's really interesting so so where's that left you now kind of health wise um so health wise day to day i'm i'm stable which is really good and it it forced me to make i guess life decisions that i think i wouldn't have made um otherwise and one of them was to be able to be living in the mountains more if i could and so in yeah. 2019 2020 i went to live um in the mountains um so i was there actually for part of lockdown which was amazing experience. probably one of the best places to be um which was good but you know interestingly again from a time perspective this idea of it felt for a long time i'm now five and a half years into my um diagnosis and how I feel and I, I'm going to say it's life-changing but not life-defining it's kind of how I think it's important for me to kind of frame it but also again these decisions so in terms of what I'm now doing this work I call it work-life coach um, because life happens and so when you're working with someone on a business perspective if there's stuff going on outside that's not working that's also going to impact and so anyone, I think, that tries to divide, oh, this is just work and I'm not going to talk about anything else, it causes, can cause challenges. And I think looking at things more holistically of what's my ideal life and one of my favorite questions for my clients, what's your ideal year? 
what time I do month, week, day. And if every mm. day you can work towards that ideal day, that's how you get your ideal week, ideal month, ideal year. And, and some things are to do with seasonally. And interestingly, actually, I was in a um, in Westfield and they had a pay-as-you-feel head massage company. Um, so you do a 10-minute head massage and then you pay what you want. And because I had this, like, maybe there's anxiety about planning, like, I can't, I don't feel like I'm ready to set up another company because I don't know where I'm going to be in six months. And if in six months they say you need a heart transplant, then I'm going to be out for a few weeks and then it's up to a year recovery. And there's various things around that. And so all that uncertainty, I just made the decision, okay, I want some things that I can do that's very much less planned. So with all my clients, when I set them up, um, I just thought I'll do this pay-as-you-value method. So I'm not doing a package of 12, which commits me to 12. I just say, look, we'll do one. If you like it and it's valuable and useful, let's do another one. And then we'll book in a regular thing for you. Um, But they're all also all open-ended. And all my clients know about my heart condition as well. And it feels, it's amazing because even though I've had ups and downs in the last five years, I've really been doing this just over three and a half years now for, for coaching work. And some clients I've had every week since I started. And it's amazing, though, because even if I felt terrible and really unwell, I'd get up, get dressed, have a shower, whatever, and be on the session. And I've only ever cancelled one session when I was then in hospital. And I did one session, and there were too many beeps in the background with all the machines going off. (laughs) This maybe is not a good idea. Um, So cancelled the ones for, for those few days. But apart from that, it's been really symbiotic in terms of I've been able to help other people on their journey. And it's, I call it the business of doing business from a coaching perspective, pure coaching is just asking questions as well. And so there is some mentoring that comes in and book references and anecdotes and of stories, but a lot of it is about helping people, giving them space, also the accountability and support. So that I call it SAS, um, which is about helping them with space, accountability and support. And that's, I would never have been able to define that when I started but after a year when I look back of like why are my clients working on me it's all through referral as well I'm not I don't post every day on Insta and Facebook or whatever say come and work with me so it's it feels very like authentic and genuine and really serves me um and I just love seeing the success of my clients and that's that's where I'm at is the kind of the inner entrepreneur in you that was hustling and knocking on wagamama's doors and getting excited about pizza express is that person just as satisfied doing one-to-one coaching and kind of not even putting a price point on an hour of your time like how does that feel because i guess the commercial side of you is like oh god like i should be charging like 300 pounds an hour or like Uh, like, are you not constantly like because that must be a battle yeah no some of my clients play close to that but it's um it, it feels very rewarding. And I think then also for some people, like how much is enough? And, and I guess getting to a point in my life where I'm like, okay, I've done certain things and aspirations that I need or want. I'm living the lifestyle that I need and want. Mm-hmm. Um, I also went through a big stage of culling and I, people might have heard of like the essentialist minimalism and essentialism. Yeah, um, I've read it. And I just love, I literally culled. I sold a load of stuff on eBay um, and and gave away loads of stuff and love using Olio where I just give stuff to people. And it just, the satisfaction of just simplicity um, is is really, really good. Um, And so is there something missing? It's interesting because I think my heart condition 
And again, I've had from a therapy perspective and working through on things on myself, this adjustment and like my identity. Because again, you know, shutting down a business, and I think that's also very important. And mm. from a coaching perspective as well, you know, Student Beans being successful and now employs over 250 people and a global footprint and, you know, this amazing journey and trajectory that it's still on, um, married up with closing down Corsa. And I guess I've got two sides of the coin. Also, didn't get investment with Student Beans, got investment with Corsa and the anxiety with my investors as well, which I'm so grateful for their, I'm going to say their love, their support, their understanding that, you know, again, no one could have predicted the heart condition side. Yeah. Um, and so there are these ebbs and flows. And I think it's important to be aware, like from an energy perspective as well, of how I feel and what I'm doing. And so the coaching mentoring stuff's working for me really well. And I'm tinkering with things. And a good example is I'm staying in a place called Morzine at the moment, which is in the French mountains, where I will be there um, for the winter. And there were lots of people on a Facebook group asking all these questions. And I just thought, why isn't there something that just pulls this stuff together? So I created a simple spreadsheet with I pulled all the information together. And it's been viewed now, it's interesting, like one and a half thousand times or something, a couple of weeks. And the feedback from people were like, thank you so much. This is so useful. Oh, I see you're a coach. I'm interested in coaching. And all of this, it's just, it's really interesting. And I think if I take a step back of just this, being of service and adding value and contributing. Mm. And I feel, yes, I'm at time and place. And could there be a whole business behind this? And could I replicate it in lots of other resorts? Because there's, there's an example of the ecosystem of how useful something like this is. And it's not game to, I mean, there, there could be more of a business. And the number of people that contact me as they commercially be like, can I buy this? Or can I? And I'm just like, it's just, use it how you want to use it. It's for the community. And it, it's so interesting, again, when you feel like you're onto something and, you know, so am I getting the same satisfaction just from coaching mentoring? I'm getting a huge amount of value and I really enjoy it, the flexibility. Also my choice, my hours, and I do it anywhere in the yeah. world, which again, I started before COVID. So it wasn't stranger for me to be using Zoom or whatever, but I can hear myself getting excited about this. It's just a side project. And I think, you know, that's, where I'm at in my life at the moment. And maybe this is how other things also should be for people without the pressure. I don't want the pressure. Yeah, it's not balance. It's going to be this. And I need, I'm just like, yeah. I'll just yeah. spreadsheet. I'll buy a domain so I can link to it. It's happening. People are using it. And then yeah. let's see what happens. And it's so, that's what I think of it. Like, do I have in me more? Yeah. And am I going to do something again? Maybe. But it's an open book at the moment. I'm, I'm working. I say book. I'm working on some books in the background um, to publish. That's cool. And I've just got opportunities and things. And I'm doing some video editing as well. Again, you can put a link to this. So my heart health journey. Um, okay. I've got a YouTube channel that's just my name, uh, and there'll be a link to it, so you can find that. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm just doing it, doing it myself without any. You know, it's just out there. It's my journey from being discovering I've got the condition to dealing with it, to medication, to who to go to appointments with. It's just, if someone else finds out they've got my condition or another chronic illness, then mm. hopefully there are some useful things in there. And once I've told the journey up to date, then there'll be some other stuff on that. But it's, again, it's a project. It's just without the pressure or, yeah, and that's, it, it, it just, that's excites me. And if a day that I'm like, I don't want to do it today, I won't do it. And you know, 
Yeah, it doesn't need to have a business case attached to it either. You can just put stuff out there and, you know, give without expecting anything in return, yeah. I think is a really nice way to live. Whilst also, obviously, you've got a job anyway, so you don't need like this, not that financial pressure. So we're coming to the latter stages of the podcast. And one thing I ask all my guests to do is to write a little letter uh, or provide some words of wisdom to their younger selves. Um, and I'm like super interested to know what you will have to say because you have been on such a massive journey um, in your adult life and, and particularly in the last five years or so. Um, so if it's something that you've prepared, um, I will hand over to you to sort of read out your letter, if that's okay. Sure. Um, so here, this is what I've written. And uh, before I share, it's a really interesting exercise to write, to think about yeah, what what it would be that I know. And even today, as I, as I share it, um, so thank you for giving me the opportunity to do this. No, thank you. So, uh, dear James, as you stand on the brink of graduation, I know you're apprehensive about the challenges ahead, but contrary to the advice of everyone around you to get a job and gain some experience first, you already know that you want to start a business. You're not interested in being a small cog in a big wheel. You want to make a difference, besides which you think you're not really very employable. But starting a business at 22 will be a double-edged sword. In between finishing your exams and attending your graduation ceremony, You'll have to knock on door after door, trying to convince brands to partner with you to offer student discounts. There'll be no time to stop. It's fantastically exhilarating. Your brother Michael is going to come on with you for the journey as your co-founder, despite him being only 24 when the business was born. The aim of Student Beans to be a discount platform, a staple diet for student life, just like the tin food that we relied on at university. It's going to be hard for your peer group to relate to what you're doing. During the first three years, you'll feel isolated because you're traveling so much and friends will stop inviting you to join them on nights out. Whilst bootstrapping the business, there really won't be much money for socializing anyway, but you'll sometimes feel like you've missed something fundamental about being in your 20s. Except that there are going to be sacrifices along the way. You're building a legacy, though, that will stay with you forever. In time, your business will grow, but with the growth comes new responsibilities, systems, processes, questions around scaling and needing to manage a team. You'll always find it hard to balance the internal running of the organization with what comes naturally to you, focusing on the external partnerships that created the company in the first place. That's okay. It's important to play to your strengths. In the early days, it's you generating the sales and the deals to fund 14 employees that you've brought on. You're aware that if you don't, the business won't survive. It will feel like a huge amount of pressure and you'll sometimes feel like or wish you were more like Michael, which is much more operational and can look after the day-to-day details. The high and lows of the business journey will be so extreme, the online world being an extremely fast-moving beast and changes almost daily. You will believe in your original business model, but we come clear there are too many parts that aren't scalable. You'll have to pivot, and when the challenges feel insurmountable, and keep you awake at night, remember, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. On your 29th birthday, you'll reflect and say that things need to change. And by the time you're 32, you'll move on from student beans and will pass over control to your brother and the team. It's a hard step to take. You're not used to giving up anything, but you've got a new idea to set up Causa, a platform that facilitates serendipity and technology to enable more face-to-face connections. Launching a startup the second time round will come with different challenges. Some of the basic housekeeping is easier. There are tried and tested tactics that will help, but the fear and uncertainty of starting again is still overwhelming at times. 
You have big ambitions, but that means there's further to fall. There's still so much you can do and learn, but you'll never wonder what might have been. Remember to be authentic and remember to remain yourself, true to yourself. The biggest buzz isn't coming up with the idea, but seeing it come to reality. So be brave. At 34, you'll discover you have a heart condition, which means another change. The closing of Causa is hard, but over time, you'll put it to rest and know that you did everything that you could. Day to day, trust you're doing what you need to do. With your heart condition and life choices, listen to your body. Now is the time to enjoy life and help others on their journey. Whilst we might crave certainty, nothing is certain for anyone. And in a way, you've been given a gift by being confronted with your mentality. Remember to focus on what you can do, not what you can't. You don't know what the future will hold, and no one does, but you've got today and you're doing just great. Take care, James. Wow. Really powerful. Really, really powerful. How did it feel writing it? Um, as I said, this reflection, and we've covered a lot of topics today, and just going going back and through the journey and that things will work out and they do. And we've, as I said at the end, it's, you know, we've got today. And like, that's a quote that I heard, which it's been attributed to various different people, but it was um, depression is thinking about the past and bringing it into today. Mm. Um, anxiety is about bringing the future into today. And actually like right now in this moment, Saturday afternoon, we're here on this podcast. Like this is this is all we've got, but yet we compound both the future and the past in in one. And mm. so many times, I guess people we do that. And I think my heart condition has, as I said, there have been times in the last five years. Unfortunately, I didn't say this earlier, but I've been struggling to breathe, struggling to sit up, struggling to walk, um, and the prospect of a heart transplant. Um, feels far away today but a good day is when I can get up and I can walk and I can do what I want to do and so my mm. my expectations really really been reset um, and I, I do look I'm reframing it that it is a gift because I've been given yeah this the, the essence like I said the mortality and and maybe I know a bit more than others and maybe other people are walking around with the same condition I've got they just don't know they've got it yeah and um and so it's definitely helped me thinking in this way and yeah, in terms of writing this down. And I guess it's, it's a nice reflection as well at this time of year to think back, you know, what 2022 has held and, and to be able to be more in the moment and to look forward. Well said, beautifully put as well. I, I, yeah, I totally agree that not enough people are living in the moment and being in the present. There's, so much um distraction with the past and what tomorrow might be and no one's really taking stock of the here and now and making the most of of every moment which is obviously much easier said than done but it's worth reminding people um that all we've got is today listen i've absolutely loved this conversation so thank you very much for spending the time with me and um I hope to, because again, this podcast came about because we bumped into each other on a beach in Israel. So <laughs> exactly. It's everything that you talk about. So yeah, just thank you very much for sharing your story. Um, I'll put all the links and the bios in the show notes. So if anyone wants to get in touch with you, they can find you on a multitude of ways. Um, YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, website. I'm sure you're across them all. Yes. Um, but yeah, just thank you so much. Thank you. See you soon. Bye.
Thank you as always for taking the time to listen or watch this podcast. I can't tell you how much it really means to me. If you did enjoy it, please head over to wherever you're listening from to leave a five-star rating and a review if you can. And don't forget, if you did want to contribute, uh, the buy me a coffee link is going to be in the show notes and in my link tree. Until next time, take care, stay safe, and I'll see you very soon.